Good, good afternoon, everybody. Glad to have you here. Can we give it up for Chapel in the Lobby and Chapel Online? Love you guys. Hey, if there's better worship in town, I don't know where it is. Let's give it up for our team that leads us in worship. You guys are amazing. Welcome to First Wednesday. And you never been to First Wednesday. We sing a little longer. We teach a little deeper. And uh, we open God's word. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. But I want to just pause and thank you so much because of your incredible generosity. I know the start of the month we uh, think of giving God his first things. And so thank you for your generosity. Because of that, we're making progress. And we're actually going to knock down some trees right back here and add some gravel parking in the interim. How many think that sounds like a good idea? And so... Uh, so, uh, thank you because of your next generosity that lets us clear that field and make a hundred new spots in the back. And, uh, uh, how many know we don't wait till we, we, we do it when we absolutely have to do it. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, uh, so thank you for your incredible generosity. Well, the message I have tonight is one that God gave me in, in July. And, uh, well, I want to pause and say thanks so much. Everybody's texting me and calling me, you know, I got this ear thing going on. And so I love you. And, and they're checking me out, making sure I'm good. How many know God's faithful even in the middle of vertigo? And, uh, and so <laughs> the great thing about this is since I'm like 20% off, if I preach bad, I have the best excuse in the world. So I'm so free tonight, you know what I mean? But uh, thank you for all your love and support. But, you know, I had this message in my heart in July as we were working through the series on King David. And, and it was really, we looked at David the warrior for weeks and yet you could not teach on the life of David without talking about David being a worshiper. I mean, 75 of the 150 chapters in the book of Psalms, right, in the middle of the Bible are written by King David. And he was both a ruthless warrior on the battlefield and a passionate worshiper. How many know it's possible to be a man's man and a worshiper? And I know some churches that they're like, no, the singing's for, for a certain kind of people. Well, I'm just telling you, David knew what it was like to pick up a sword and do some damage. What I'm telling you is David was tougher than you, and yet he still knew how to worship. Come on, just find somebody tough around you and tell them David was tougher than you. Come on, just tell them that tonight. <laughs> Yet he had this worshipful spirit. And so I want to talk to you about worship and what a fitting night to do it. I want to bring this message on first Wednesday. And so I said, man, even with this little bit of vertigo, you can't keep me in my living room. I got this in my heart because I want you to catch the spirit of tonight. Tonight isn't, I mean, I hope I'm going to go verse by verse through the Bible, but I hope you're going to catch something that I think is core to who we are as a church and who God's called us to be I was sitting um, in a Starbucks in July praying over what God had for us as a church. And I just felt like God pressed these words on me that the American church is filled with entertainment. But God was looking to raise up a group of people that gathered to worship him. And that gathered to worship him, whether the songs we sang that week are the ones you like or the singers on that you like. Come on, somebody. 
but who gathered with a sense of expectation to give praise and worship to God. I think we've lost this in the church. I think, and I, and I think here's the danger in church to come to church in order for somebody up on the stage to do something for us. And how many know it takes two to dance? Come on. And, and so I felt like this calling was for us as a church. It, it's not for our worship team. It's for us as a church. This isn't for a few select people that play some instruments or can sing a little better than you can. It's for all. I believe God says, Jesus said, I'm searching for those who will worship me in spirit and in truth. That's what the father wants. People that will worship him. And I don't know if you know this, but this world, everybody worships something. Okay. And in fact, we're starting this fall and you'll see it all over college football stadiums all over the country. They'll gather in the middle of stadiums and they'll worship something. Right. And, and we'll all of a sudden be on, uh, on Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday and the malls will be filled with people buying stuff. And pe- the question is not, do we worship? The question is, what do we worship? And what we worship drives the rudder of our life. It drives the soul of our life. And so I want to talk to you about King David from this strange little passage in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And let me give you the context. The Ark of the Covenant. How many have ever watched Indiana Jones? Okay, right? Like The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament literally symbolize the presence of God. Okay? So in the New Testament, how many know we are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? But in the Old Testament, God abided in the center with his people and his presence was a symbol or almost an an instrument of worship called the Ark of the Covenant. And under Saul's previous uh, rulership as king, the Ark was taken away and it's been one generation without the presence of God in the center of the people of God. And David's making incredible progress as a diplomat and as a warrior. He's unifying the nation of Israel. But he wants more than just to expand and unify the kingdom of Israel. He wants more than to be a great king or a skillful diplomat. David wants to restore the worship of God to the city of God, Jerusalem, the capital. And so the king sets his heart on literally uh, on literally bringing God's presence back into the center of what, what God has has for his people. I just felt on my heart that if we've lost this at all tonight, here is the challenge to say, God, oh, we're putting your presence in the center of our church. How many know our church is not built on a pastor or a logo or a worship team? Our church is built on the presence of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so David starts the process of bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. I want to show you it because it's a little bit funky here. And, and the Bible says that they set, that they're so excited about it that they set the Ark of God on a new cart, okay? And now if you can go back and study the Old Testament, God gave specific rules for how the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported on poles with priests. But they decided they were going to worship God their own way. Watch this. They decided they were going to worship God their own way. Let me just pause for a second and say, when we try to improve on what God has said, we always come up short. In fact, I've heard people pressing me on theology and modern culture. When is the chapel going to give and get more fluffy and fluid on these kind of things? I'm just telling you, that's a new cart. I'm, going to t- I'm trying to take God's presence and adapt it to the culture around us. And you only have the presence of God when you do things according to the word of God. 
And so, so they tried to improve on it. And they say, and I think their motives may have been good. They're trying to bring in God's presence. But they say, we're going to jazz it up. We're going to get this new cart and get it right into the center of town. And it's this strange experience here. It's a strange experience where, where, where the Bible says when those carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, they sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. So let me tell you what happened. As they were carrying the, the cart, and this screen just went out, so you guys know that, because um, I don't know what the next slide is, but uh, <laughs> this is my fault. It's theirs, I swear. I know I got vertigo, but I'm good. Um, uh, so, so here's what happened. The, the, um, one of the oxen stumbled, and the ark started to fall, and a man named Uzzah reaches out to catch the ark, and he's literally killed. It's, it's one of the passages of Scripture where you go, Jeepers, God. Like, that felt like an, like, wow, you know, that was strong, you know. And, uh, but here's the point. They were trying to do things uh, their own way. And so what happened is eventually they, they transported the ark of God. I want you to see this with the priests of God and with a sacrifice. I want you to see this. I want you to see this because if we don't have this, it's number one here on the notes. Just write it down. God's presence is entered through another's sacrifice, not our own. Okay. So they thought, I'll get into God's presence by doing a bunch of good things. And God said, I've already given you the only way into my presence, which is through the sacrifice of blood. And let me just say this this weekend, uh, this, this Wednesday night. Uh, we do not get into God's presence through our own good intentions or through our own effort. We only get to worship God because a sacrifice has been made, the spotless lamb of God, okay? And this is huge. This is huge because otherwise we think our singing or our praying or our, our methods of praying or our diligence or our faithfulness or our tithing or our serving or our giving to next. Somehow we, that, that earns us points in God's presence. And I'm here to just remind us today, we don't serve God for acceptance. We serve God from acceptance. And worship of God starts not because of our work, but because of God's work. Now, I'm going to go on in a second and talk about our attitude and things that we need to change. But unless we lay the foundation there, here's what starts to happen. We start to think, well, worship's a recipe, and I get God's presence, and I'm doing this, and God's blessing me because I did this, and I did this, and I did this. Well, we just took communion, and here's what communion declares, that Jesus Christ was broken, his body was broken, and his blood was shed so that we might be forgiven. The reason we go to heaven, the reason we have a relationship with God, the reason we're sons and daughters of God is not friends because we're good enough we tried hard enough we're religious enough it's all by grace through faith it is the free gift of God and unless we understand that that worship is a response to God's grace not an attempt to capture God's grace our worship becomes an exercise of building new carts of our own self-righteousness where we think we're getting somewhere with God Oh, if I do my devotions and I pray long enough and I do this right and I have this together, then God's going to love me and serve me. And we get on the treadmill of legalism and self-righteousness. I'm here to set some people free this Wednesday night because God has come and already set us free because of Jesus Christ. 
So worship is not an attempt to get a hold of a reluctant father, but to worship a father who's already given us the key into his presence, right? So it's like it changes. Here's why, because it changes everything we do when we worship, when it's from a response of grace. Rather, you see how subtle it is? It's not an attempt to capture grace. That's legalism. It's a response to grace. That's worship, right? So the presence of God only comes because of the sacrifice of another. Come on, just turn to the person next to you and tell them you weren't good enough. Come on, just tell them that. It's okay. Jesus was good for us. Okay. Let me show you the second thing. Okay. Here's the second thing. And that is the presence of God brings the blessing of God. Okay. The presence of God brings the blessing of God on our life. And and here's what I'm saying in that, and, and that is that there's nothing like God's presence. So let me tell you what happens. After the cart falls and God kills this guy, everybody's scared and they just leave the ark. They're, they're kind of walking down the street and they're like, just leave it in that guy's house. And his name is Obed-Edom. He's like, what? And they're just like, here's the ark. We're scared of it. <laughs> it's a strange passage. But something interesting starts happening in this guy's house. I want you to see it. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So this guy's just like, picture him. He's on his front lawn in a lawn chair, watering his lawn. The ark stops in front of him. They're like, we can't do anything with this. They put it in his house. And just everything he does is blessed. Okay. And I just want you to know there's, there's nothing like the worship of God and the presence of God that brings the blessing of God on our life. In fact, you could say it this way, that the, the, that, um, uh, no, the more we worship God, the more we have a sense of his presence. It's a sense of his blessing. And wherever he goes, there's a sense of, of blessing uh, uh, um, on our life. I remember I was, uh, uh, my, I was about 13 years old and my mom, my mom always gets me amazing Christmas gifts and terrible ones. She always has. And so she one year got me a, Bugs, a leather Bugs Bunny remote control holder. And it was Bugs Bunny laying, it was like this big. And he's laying on, he laid on the arm of the couch and then there was a flap where you could store all your remotes. And so she was, I was, so she hands me this. I'm like 13. It's leather. It's like $40. And she's like, what do you think of it? And I'm like, I don't know anything to do with this. And she's like, well, I thought cause you lose the remote. I would. And I was like, I don't really want a big Bugs Bunny leather thing. And so that, that was the way in my house you could just say if you like the gift or not. I, I realized when I married Katie that wasn't everyone's experience. She's like, what do you think of that gift? I was like, I hate it. She's crying, you know. I'm like, my family grew up in honesty. How many know the differences? You know what I'm talking about? You figure it out along the way. So I've gotten less honest over the years. And uh, so I don't know what to do with this Bugs Bunny remote control holder. And my friend Dan Laro comes over and he's like, what is that? And I'm like, my mom got me this Bugs Bunny. And he's like, my mom loves Bugs Bunny. And I was like, that's kind of weird, but why don't you take it? And so a couple weeks later, I'm at his house and I walk in and I see on the arm of the couch, this Bugs Bunny and her name's Joanne. And Joanne says, Brandon, guess what my son Dan got me? I was like, I, I, I never guess what it is. She's like, I've never felt so loved. I've always had a thing. I just love Bugs Bunny. Look at this leather Bugs Bunny. He said it cost over $40. I'm looking at my friend like, 
here she just feels so loved. You know what I mean? For years, that Bugs Bunny sat on, on his uh, couch. In fact, years later, he, he now pastors a church in Delaware, okay? And his mom moved, and I saw him in Delaware five years ago. And I said to him, hey, remember that Bugs Bunny thing? And he goes, my mom still has that Bugs. She's transported across states, okay? She literally thought wherever Bugs Bunny went, there was just blessing, you know? Well, I don't know how to exactly describe it, except wherever the blessing of God, the ark of God was in the Old Testament, the blessing of God was. How many want the blessing of God in your life, right? That comes through the presence of God. All right, so let me show you how we miss out on this. Here's the danger that we can miss out on the presence of God when we don't worship God, okay? And so that's what this passage is. Basically now, after this, uh, David comes and he gets the Ark of the Covenant and he brings it into Jerusalem and, and they begin to worship God in that moment. In fact, I think this is true in our lives. Maybe just wrote it down. The more we worship God, the more we'll experience his power in our life, okay? And so, so David is, I want you to picture this. The Ark of the Covenant's coming in. One generation, God's presence has not been in the city. For one generation, his presence hasn't been there. And all this, under Saul's rule, it was abdicated. Now David has restored the ark and the presence into Jerusalem, and he's just thrilled in worship. And David's wife, Michael, sees him. And she begins to be judgmental, okay? In fact, 2 Samuel 6 describes her bad attitude, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, let me just pause for one second. Michael is married to David, but she's still being referred to as the daughter of her father. Let me just give you a piece of marriage advice. When you get married, the two become one flesh. I think I'm helping somebody this, this night, you know. And, and she was still identifying herself with her mommy and daddy rather than with her new husband. So I'm talking to some mother-in-law and father-in-law that need to back off a little. Is this good? And some guy that needs to tell his mom, mom, there's a new, new, new lady in town. And I, I got to call you a little less. Okay. You get what I'm saying? How many know this is, this is really good. If, this is really good preaching. That might've been, some of you are like, mm-hmm. But Michael's still, <laughs> she's still uh, defining herself as the daughter of Saul. And I want you to see the first thing she does. David's worshiping and the people of worshiping. And the Bible literally says these words, Michael looked. And I literally see her doing this. I see her, and this is a danger for us. I see her spectating, not participating, right? How many know it's easy to look during worship? Oh, just look. Oh, I don't know why there's, I don't really like that. You know, they blow, they blow the smoke on Wednesday nights and I don't like that. And somebody's sitting in my chair. I'm sitting in the black chair in the back. I don't like the black chair. I'm in the lobby and I can hear them grilling the hot dogs right now. And I'm, I don't know. You know what I mean? They look. How many know it's easy to spectate, right? Rather than participate. And Michael, that's the first thing she's doing. She's spectating, not participating. Oh, I pray that the chapel would be filled with participatory worship. (laughs) I mean, I want you to think of this. Where else in life can you go and hear people sing? In fact, there's always moments in our service where the band just backs off and you can just hear the voices. Isn't that one of the sweetest moments? Because I go, where else in the world right now do you just hear people sing? You know, There's something about hearing other people sing, even the people behind you that are not good at it. There's something about it. 
Michael spectates. And in fact, not only does she spectate, but look at her attitude. The Bible says not only does she look, but I think the author, most commentators think he's, he's using an idiom here. She looks down. It's a, she's doing in the natural what she's doing in the spiritual. She's not only spectating, but I actually think she's doing this. She's looking down on others who are worshiping. Let me just say this. There might be somebody next to you, and I think we all have different personalities, so I don't think everybody has to worship the same. How many know not everybody has to worship the same? In fact, for some of you, this is going crazy. You're like, man, I was crazy this weekend. I went like this. But you see somebody two rows over and they're like really into it and you think, what's with them? But how many know you don't know their story? You don't know what God did in their life this week. You don't know, you don't know where their starting point was. In fact, the Pharisees did this. They judged the woman who poured out all her, all her oil on Jesus' feet, remember? And Jesus said, be careful because those who have been forgiven much love much, but those who have been forgiven little love little. I wonder if I have any people in the room tonight that know you've been forgiven much and have reason to give God praise. Not judging one another. Paul tells us this way. Be careful not to think of yourself more highly than we ought, but with sober judgment. How many know biblical Christianity has humility, right? The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. For the measure that you judge others, it will be judged according to you, right? Hey, let's not be a judgmental church. Let's be a gracious church. I'm telling you, there are enough judgmental churches, judgmental Christians. People, You, you ever met the kind, they got the biggest Bible with the biggest problem. They can tell you every heresy hunter in the world. Oh, did you know? <laughs> let's be a gracious church. I'm not saying we don't teach truth. I'm not saying we don't point out error. I'm not saying there's not a thing such as sheep and wolves. And I get that. We'll shoot the wolves. Fine. Great. I'm just saying, I think, I think if we're not careful, some of us have made ourselves Christian policemen. And I'm just here to let you know, God's willing to let you go off the job. You don't need to be that, right? And Michael did that. She not only looked, she spectated, she looked down. And look at this. She not only looked down, but the Bible says she looked down from her window. Okay. So not only did she spectate, not only did she judge, but I think this is true. She literally had a limited view of what she could see. Have you ever looked out a window and you, can, you can't see everything? Because there's a, there's a, she's not out where the people are. You see, because what David is saying is the people of God in Jerusalem and Israel have not had the presence of God in the center of the city of God for a generation. And so they're gathering and they're worshiping and David's actually dancing and he's expressing his worship to God and she doesn't much like that. And she's frustrated with this and she's struggling with this and she's, she's having difficulty with this and she's looking down on others. And, and man, let it, let it not be true of us that we judge other people, that we judge others, worship, that we judge others, walk with God, anything like that, God has more for us. In that way, we'll have a limited view of what God is doing. And how many know when you're with people, you can see it all. When you're up judging others, you can't, right? Let me show you one more thing that's true about her, and then I'll show you one more thing, okay? Is this okay tonight? Am I helping anybody tonight? Okay, here we go. Let me show you one or two more things. The presence of God is limited in our life by undealt with hurts and wounds, okay? 
So what, what we're going to see happen is Michael has some stuff that she didn't work through in her family, her dad, and her relationships, and it's coming out of her. And I really believe that one of the things that affects our worship and our relationship with God is undealt with hurts in our life. Okay. It's, it's, in fact, Jesus said when you're giving a gift at an altar, if you remember that you have a division with somebody else who's a believer, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled with them, right? How many know our horizontal relationships affect our vertical connection to God? You don't think that's true? First Peter 3, Peter literally says, be careful that you resolve conflict, husbands and wives, so that your prayers will not be hindered. How many know you're fighting with your, your wife bad enough? It's hard to pray. You ever gotten in a fight on the way to church? No? Come on, somebody. Tonight? Come on, somebody, tonight? You get into church, you're not like, this joy in the house, and you're like, mm. Like, I'm about to get a second coffee, you know? Go to the bathroom till the singing's over, because I don't like... Why? Because our connection, friction with one another affects our connection to God. Michael has some issues of undealt with bitterness and wounds in her life. And the Bible actually says when she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, look at this. She's not just frustrated. She's, come on, say it with me, filled with. This isn't just a woman frustrated. This is a woman who has some stuff on the inside of her that she hasn't dealt with. And she needs to have it dealt with. I remember as a kid, uh, my grandma and grandpa got divorced when I was real little, and my grandpa remarried. And so for a while, every family birthday party, there were two birthday parties. So we, my sister would have a birthday, like if this was my birthday, we'd have a birthday party, and my aunts, uncles, cousins would all come over, and my grandpa would be there, and, my, and, and his wife, Lydia. And then we'd all come to the second party, the same people, except my grandma. And it was literally crazy. And so my mom decided, I'll, I'll never forget that it like caused chaos in our family. She said, one year she said, I'm throwing one birthday party. And whoever wants to come can come. And my aunt was like, you can't do that. You know mom will kill her. Like you know it. And she's like, well, that's fine. Nobody can come. I don't care. And I remember that day just being so nervous. And so like, mom, you know what's going to happen. Grandma's going to swear a lot at her, you know. And something happened, they got through that. And you know what happened that moment in my family? One birthday party. And you know what happened when my grandpa died? My grandma and my grandpa's second wife would be friends. And as a kid, I'd be like, how did that happen? <laughs> but you know what? God took some unforgiveness off my grandmother's life. I'm not saying everything was right the way it went down. I'm just saying this, when we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, how many know it has a way of destroying us, not the other person? It doesn't mean what they did was right. It doesn't mean we're excusing it or saying it's okay. Not any bit of that. But, but Michael hadn't dealt with the bitterness. She saw David and had contempt in her heart for him. She was frustrated. In fact, she, stopped, she talks when David returned home. Look at how David, he's so excited. Hey, Ark of the Covenant back in the city of God. My wife, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Have you ever had a Debbie Downer in your life, right? <laughs> Come on, let me just give you a quick plug because we've got one kind of group in our church that's designed to get these things off of you, okay? And they are called freedom groups, okay? So let me just give you a 20 second, 20 second deal of freedom groups. 
because you're here tonight and you're like, I don't need a freedom group. I'm free. That's great. But you, that might be exactly why you need a freedom group. Here's all I'm saying. If you live life for any amount of time, you've been hurt. You've been disappointed. You've been frustrated. And all freedom groups are designed to do is help us deal with our hurts, hangups, handicaps, wounds. Get those things off of us so that we can be wide open to the new things God has for us. So I think we got like 16 of them or 18 of them. This sem- we opened more freedom groups than we even thought we could dream of this semester. Because we were just like, we want as many people to work through as many things to get as free as they can be for the glory of God. Amen. Uh, let me show you one more pre- uh, principle and then we're going to close tonight. Uh, without God's presence, there's emptiness, not fullness. Without God's presence, there's emptiness, not fullness. So let me show you what happens. The Bible says, so they set it in its place, the Ark of the Covenant, inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And when he finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And he gave to every Israelite, man and woman in the crowd, a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins. Panera bread. It's just handing out bread. So let me actually tell you what this is. Um, In the ancient world, and I know there are kids in the room, so I'll be a little careful. Cake of raisins were seen as an aphrodisiac, okay? So this is David saying to the people, the presence of God is in this city. Go home. Eat some bread. Make love to your spouse. All right, I got an amen. <laughs> Not now. Come back in. You know, somebody just start like, come on, honey. We're just gotta do what the preacher said, you know. And somebody's like, this is the first Wednesday. First Wednesday. Literally, here's what David's doing. He's speaking a blessing. In the ancient world, I don't even know this. Children produced wealth, which produced armies, which produced agriculture, which produced crop. In the ancient world, the more kids you had, the more kids could work the field. You made more money. How many know it's the opposite today? The more kids you have, the more money. They just suck it out of you. In the ancient world, it was the opposite. The more kids you had, the more uh, <laughs> resources. I know this is strange, but in the, this is what David's saying. He's saying, be blessed. God's presence is here. Be blessed. The Bible literally says that they just, they received it. And all the people returned to their homes. Amen. I want you to see this, but there's a strange and sad verse right after this. So David's saying, Obed-Edom's house is blessed. God's going to bless your house. Hey, people, God's going to bless you with your fields and your vineyards and your livestock and you're going to be fruitful and have children is God's blessings on you but there's a sad verse here because Michael who didn't worship the Bible says so Michael the daughter of Saul remained childless her entire life now most scholars do not believe that God stopped her from having children that's not what this verse is saying but that there was such a wedge because of this experience between David and his wife, Michael, that they never came together again. 
That, that's how bad the breakdown was. And the principle that I see there is that when you don't live a worshipful life, you don't experience the blessing of God on your life. The people that embraced his presence had a sense of blessing and abundance in their life. Michael, who didn't, man, she stands in stark contrast. She, she lives a life of barrenness and pain, heartache. Oh, but the presence of God fills us with life and hope and strength. And there's something about the worship of God that just fills you with the blessing of God. I'll never forget my grandfather was in his last hours in St. Joseph Memorial Hospital in Syracuse, New York. When they gathered 12 of us grandkids into the room and he was still semi-conscious and we just sang the worship of God. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my father, I'll never forget. In the middle of the ICU, the worship of God. How many know there's something about the worship of God that brings blessing? Just last week, Katie and I were with some of our good long-term friends and I was walking into their garage and they had music playing in their garage. And I, I said to him, Mike, you got music playing in your garage? He goes, oh yeah, I love the worship music in my garage. I said, you spend a lot of time in your garage? No. He said, but the second I get home, I want to walk into my garage. I want worship music in my garage. I said, okay. He has horses. So we went to his horse stable. And as we're walking towards his horse stable, I could hear worship music. And I said, Mike, you got worship music in your stable with the horses. He goes, oh yeah, my, my horses, they love worship. I said, they do? Yeah. He said, yeah, they're Christian horses. I said, it's not in the Bible, Mike. Uh, he said, no, I walk. He said, just worship. And you know what I thought? I was preparing for this message. Wherever I went, I said, man, in the garage, there's worship. In the horse stable, there's, wor there's just the worship. Oh, what would it be like to be a person where our lives are just surrounded in the worship of God, right? Wherever we go, in and our out, our coming and our going, the blessing of God is on our life. Let me give you one more verse, and then we'll close this weekend. Here's what it is. The Bible says this in Acts 15. And after this, God said, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent. It's ruins I will rebuild. I want you to see this and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. When Jesus and the apostles described what David's legacy was, they said, when we rebuild what David built, there'd be a generation of people that seek the Lord. And I just felt like God wanted me to call us this first Wednesday chapel to be people that seek the Lord to be people that worship the Lord, to be people that come to church, not to be entertained, but come to church to give God the worship and the praise that he alone deserves. To not let the bitterness and the spectator and the sitting on the side and judging others. and I'm not sure what to do with that. Not let any of those things get into our heart. Just be people of genuine worship. Gen Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Pastor Jason already shared it. Enter his courts, courts with praise, right? The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. How many know God enters where he's welcomed, right? God enters where he's welcomed. Let's be a church. I just, let's be a church when people pull up in the parking lot, even when they're struggling to find a spot. They're like, man, the present, there's just a sense of God, just God with these people. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm jealous for us not to come up with a plan or a scheme or an initiative or a building. No, 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 no. God 
meeting with his people. God meeting with his people. Come on, friends. God meeting with his people. That's what we've gathered to do. Come on, let's give God praise all over this room. God meeting with his people. You know, one of the things, uh, when God first called me into ministry, Katie will tell you this. I was 17 years old. I didn't know what God would do with my life. This was back in the days of CDs. How many remember CDs? And it had the um, three, three CD cha- uh, triangle thing. You, you spin it around and the whole tray came out. You put them on there. And I just worship in my room. I didn't, I didn't know what God would do in my life, but I just, I just said, God, I need your presence and your grace in my life. And here, chapel, I want, it's not the words. I want you to get the heart. David was not just a warrior. David was a worshiper. Let's be a church that worships. Isn't he worthy of praise and honor and glory and dominion? He who created the world with his words, who flung the stars into existence, who separated the sea from land, and then who saw us in our broken estate and sent the sinless son, his very best from heaven to take away our sin. John the revelator in the book of John says, when he looks around heaven, who's worthy to unravel the scroll and unseal it? And it says, no one here is, but there still is one who's worthy of all honor and praise. I wonder if you'd hold your hands like this all over this room. Come on, chapel, let's just be a worshiping church, can we? Oh, we love you, Lord. Oh, tell him that. We love you, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. 